The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. It's Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. Happy Father's Day to all of you fathers, grandfathers, spouses, etc., partners, whatever, of fathers. And to all of those of you who have fathers, hopefully that's everybody that's listening, thank you so much for joining us. I think it's going to be just a great day because I am here today with my special guest, Midwife Mark Harris. Mark, welcome to the show. Hiya, Marie. Well, we're delighted to have you here. For those of you who are U.S. based, you might not have heard of Mark, but I think that as soon as he starts talking, you'll know that he's not stateside. Uh, Mark, <laughs> Mark has a wonderful book called Men, Love, and Birth. And having read his chapter on breastfeeding, I have a number of questions for Mark. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll try to mow through those today. I should add, I don't think that you have to be a father in order to speak knowledgeably to breastfeeding or fatherhood or Father's Day or anything else. But in Mark's case, he actually is eminently qualified. He does have, as I understand, Mark, five children of his own. Yes? Well, I have I have six Oh, children. bless your heart. I, I have five biological children and a son that I've adopted. Oh, wow. You're a wonderful uh, man. That, that's, uh, a, that's a lot of work. And six grandchildren. Oh, oh, well, then you are definitely eminently qualified. So, so you, will, you will not find anything in my book about contraception advice. <laughs> we'll That's remember that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll remember that part. <laughs> well, you know, truly, I, I don't believe that people have to have had their own children in order to no. understand this. But I think it does give you a, a perspective as you talk to other fathers. And I can guarantee you, Mark, today you are talking to other fathers. Oh, so I, I want to kind of move from the whole idea of fathers actually to uh what fathers do to support breastfeeding. Uh, I know, for instance, that in your book, you talk about the father needing to show confidence in the mother's body and her ability to nourish the baby. Mm. Now, 
I think it's your perspective and certainly my clinical experience as well that lots of times well-meaning fathers want to tell the mother, oh, you know, don't worry, it's okay, you don't have to breastfeed, that's why they make formula, it's okay, you're not obligated to do this, blah, blah, blah. What do you say to that line of thinking? Well, the, the whole of my approach is, is rooted in an understanding of evolutionary biology. Oh, mm-hmm. It, so it, it creates a framework for a, a man to have insight about what's what's going on in his relationship. Um, I mean, f- I mean, for example, we're, we're mammals, right? Yes. Uh, the reason we're mammals is because we we feed with mammary glands. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, okay. And you know, th- there is a long, well-established heritage of being mammals it's it's worked wonderfully otherwise we wouldn't be here would we <laughs> and, and when presented, <laughs> I find to a male audience in that context particularly around yeah when in that context uh, a man ordinarily has an insight you know he, he begins to realize that formula feeding is a very young experiment Oh and, yes, and he has insight. I mean, the, the the page in the book that got the most controversy, and it's it's a fairly controversial book generally, but the the page that got the most uh, controversy generated was the panel in the book that talks about the risks of not breastfeeding. Oh yes, yes. Oh, oh, oh it all it all let loose about that, but but when you when you put feeding when you put birth inside an evolutionary model it's just completely logical to speak about the risks of not breastfeeding because it's what we've done as a species for millennia agreed Agreed. uh, but yet it still generates certainly in the uk uh, a lot of controversy when you start to frame the discussion in that way well mark i've gotten in trouble with that for years yeah. Because, uh, yeah, because here's the thing. I know that you also have made a comment. I don't know if it was in your book or on the web somewhere, but you kind of said, look, at, you know, I really don't talk too much about the benefits of breastfeeding. And I will tell you, most definitely, when people come and say, oh, will you do a keynote for our conference? Will you talk about the breastfeeding, the benefits of breastfeeding? I say, no, you need to ask somebody else. <laughs> because I think that this is like talking about the benefits of breathing clean air or the benefits of walking upright. I mean, it's just so, like, like that's not how we think. I, I hope it's not how we think. So talk to me then. Why do you go after, do, well, first of all, do you think it's effective to talk about uh, the benefits of breastfeeding? Do you think parents really it's, get it? It's not something I do. Yeah. I, 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 I think once you've made, and I know I'm repeating myself, but once you've made the, <laughs> the evolutionary argument, Yes. It's a logical conclusion to to speak about the risks of not breastfeeding. Like I've said already, formula feeding is a very young experiment. Yes. Um, yes. So it, it naturally it naturally flows from that discussion. The other thing, of course, and I don't want to get too political, but the the formula companies have done a job on us. Absolutely. They are very sophisticated. Let's not hope Machiavellian, but I suspect that they are. They are very sophisticated in their communication um, technologies and that they've sold us a very good narrative. Yes, yes. And uh, there are moral uh, considerations if you ask me too. So, you know, you, you're up against an in, uh, a sort of like a, a deeply unconscious narrative that people have taken on board. 
Um, so I think when we talk about the risks of not breastfeeding, it confronts the narrative. And it causes it someone to stop and think and question what they're accepting at a deeply unconscious level. You know, I we homeschooled all our five children and we my partner who my wife died eight years ago and oh, she I'm breastfed sorry. all uh, that's it's okay, you uh, you know, when it first happened I thought I'd never see the world in colour again and it turns out life can be great, right? You know, it turns out that you learn the lessons from that and you move on and you create a great life anyway. But she breastfed all of our homeschool children and I and we were very strong on a breastfeeding narrative, I think it's yeah. fair to say. And yeah. I remember I remember once my little daughter my daughter came walking in and I don't know where she got a toy bo bottle from, but she was bottle feeding her doll. Oops. And I said she was only little and I said, Laura, what are you doing? You're bottle feeding, you're not breastfeeding. And she picked the doll up by its neck. She looked at me, pointed at the doll, and she said, Dad, it's a doll. Uh. <laughs> she, she thoroughly understood. But, you know, when I speak to my adult, I was speaking to my adult sons about, you know, speaking today and about my work, and, and he was talking about how offended he was that it was such a big deal uh, when a woman uh, breastfed in public. You know, in the UK, it's it's still a bit of a, a raw topic, and he yeah. said, "I just," he said, "I just don't That's get it." Deal here. Well, he said, "He said, Dad, I don't get it. I just really don't get why it's a big deal." And then he stopped and he reflected, and he said, "Hold on a minute. I've been seeing half-naked breasts on billboards since the age of seven. Right, right, right. You know, he, he says, I, I, I have been, I, you know, breasts have been sexualized for me from a very early age." He says, "Ah." Maybe I'm beginning to get it now. Yes, and I just want to give just a little heads up here to our audience. I've asked Dr. Paige Hall-Smith to be with us. Uh, I think it's next month. I can't quite remember. But that's her uh, angle as well. She says that we have so sexualized the breasts that that's a big part of she goes into the the whole bit about breastfeeding in public, but even bigger than that. And by the way, I got to tell you, I didn't realize it was that big of a deal in the UK. I thought oh, it was just it us is. American. Oh wow! Oh, I think it's a bigger deal over there, to be honest. But uh, it, it's still it's still a big deal here. We still have you know boycotting of shops and all that kind of stuff when when um, uh, women are it's it's being made difficult for them to breastfeed. But you know, my daughters, uh, I've got three daughters. They all got pregnant very quickly after my wife died uh, uh, young women all, all under 21 and you know they all made the choice to breastfeed in fact I remember one of them saying uh, she was asked whether she was going to get some sterilizing equipment and stuff and she said oh no 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 I, she she'd burnt her bridge around feeding methodology uh -huh. she, she uh -huh. wasn't having okay. she wasn't having a backup position and that was her position you know that Good was how her. she felt and in the UK uh, breastfeeding rates am amongst women under 20 uh, are, are quite low yes uh, i guess I, I guess i thought that this was a us problem but clearly it's a more global problem and uh there's just so many facets to this so mark tell me this 
Uh, you t- you you started to talk a little bit about the the risks of formula. What do you think about the whole idea of the fact uh, you said modern formula was developed in the 1970s? Well, if we had five different experts, we would have five different dates. But I don't yeah. think it really I don't think it matters what date you hang on it. I no. think that we have a lot of kids that were born. And and it, certainly here in the U.S., I believe that the lowest rate for breastfeeding was in either 1971 or 72. Right. So that means that those kids are only a little bit more than 40 years old right now. Do we know yeah. anything about what their health risks could be? Well, in, ter- in ter- ongoing f- formula feeding for that length of time, well, we have a sense, don't we, that there's a, a higher ob- uh, obesity amongst bottle-fed um, yes. children yes. over time. That There's some research which, you know, depending on how you read it and how you look at it, suggests that there are I- IQ variations. Yes. Um, there is some sense that there is more eczema and asthma amongst that community. Um, and, you know, with the uh, the discussion in the, the birth media about the microbiome as well. Oh, yes. And, and, mm. and the, the impact. That, you know, the microbiome in the UK is becoming an issue, the idea of seeding the microbiome of babies that are born by C-section. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, you know, it's an emerging area of science. And um, I think the book that's out recently is very interesting. But let's be clear. The evidence is is pretty weighty for skin to skin and breastfeeding and we certainly haven't got that right in the UK. So let's let's maybe focus there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, I well, don't know if I answered your question. But I, yeah, I, I, yes, yes. Uh, you know, here in the US, we are certainly making a big effort to do the skin to skin contact in an earlier show. In fact, I think this just aired within the last uh, couple of weeks. It was right around Memorial Day when we talked with Dr. Susie, Susie Luddington, who, of course, has done a lot of her research as related to skin-to-skin. There's no, there's no question but what it works. The question is, why don't people use these rather simple, costless kinds of techniques? It just boggles my mind. Hey, listen, everybody, do not go away. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. I'm here with Mark Harris. Don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuso, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you too. Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that too through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. 
New Angel manufactures environmentally friendly and hypoallergenic cotton products for breastfeeding mothers and their New Angels. Feel the difference. Soft, absorbent, and breathable. Patented, patent-pending, and award-winning products designed by a certified lactation consultant. Look for New Angel biodegradable, disposable, and cotton washable nursing pads, natural cotton products, and other unique items. Made by mothers for mothers in the USA. Buy N-U-A-N-G-E-L for your New Angel at www.newangel.com and www.amazon.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every time, every week, every Monday, or whenever you're listening to this, we will bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding. So today, I'm here with registered midwife Mark Harris, who is the author of Men, Love, and Birth. So in the previous segment, we were talking a little bit, we were talking a lot actually, uh, about uh, the whole idea of presenting the risks of formula rather than the benefits of breastfeeding because, as Mark pointed out, this is when you look at it from an evolutionary standpoint, it really makes a lot of sense. I would urge listeners, you might want to go back to a program that I did with um, uh, Dr. Narvaez. In uh, the end of 2015, I believe that it was right at the end of December, and she, of course, talked about primal parenting and really went into that whole bit about hunter-gatherers and so forth. So, Mark, here's another thing. You alluded in the last segment to how we've sort of been swindled from the standpoint of what we are taught to believe, and somewhere in your book, you made the uh, the comment that, yeah, yeah, we all talk a good game and the formula companies talk a good game about breast is best. But you said that that's really part of the idea that there's no better, I, I quote, there's no better way to divide women than to create a us-them culture. Can you speak to that? Yeah, well, I- my understanding is that the formula companies were behind the motto breast is best. Oh, really? Yeah, that's my understanding, certainly within the UK context. And it's oh. a very clever way of dividing a community. Um, the, 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 minute, the, 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 the minute you set up one method as the best, even though we know that in terms of the health of the human animal, breastfeeding is optimum. There is no doubt about that, but the the clarion call of breast in best, uh, breast is best in the UK certainly led to a divided community amongst women. I want to interrupt for just a second and say, at oh. least here here in the United States, uh, it is my understanding, and I 
I've just gotten this handed down. I, I, I'm not sure if I've seen it in print or not, but we always attribute it to uh, the work of Dr. D- Derek Jelliff, now, uh, who was very much a breastfeeding advocate. Now, let me be clear to say that Dr. Jelliff uh, is, is said this allegedly, and again, I'd have to really go back and check my literature, but I believe it was around the 1970s, which again, I'm seeing this thing come up about the 1970s, which was a low point for us, at least, for breastfeeding rates. But I think it kind of doesn't matter who said it. I think it's interesting that somehow it got circulated, and then, as you say, uh, it, it's a divider. Why does it divide well, into the them and us? Well, uh, let, I, I, when it comes to evidence, you know, scientific evidence, yeah. it, it's, not to be, it's not the truth, the evidence never leads us to a position where we know the truth. It, 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 it provides correlations between effects that need ongoing testing. You know, the evidence isn't to be believed, it's to be tested in mm. our experience personally mm. and in our corporate experience. So it's never to be believed like it's the truth. But the moment I believe the evidence like it's truth, it almost takes on a moral dynamic. If what I believe about the evidence is the truth and you're not doing it, somehow you're morally wrong. Ah, uh-huh. yeah. So, so the evidence is to not to be believed, but to be tested in our own experience. And we've we've had many, many millions of years of testing the evidence around breastfeeding, and it's not been found wanting. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't mean to me that that the evidence is true. Does that make does that make sense to you? Well, I think it does. And as I hear you talking, I'm thinking about uh, Dr. Sackett, who actually is from the UK. And I think it was 1995 when his article came out and he began to be known as the father of evidence-based practice. And one of the things that I think people see is that Sackett's statement and position was about how we needed evidence-based practice. But they also seem to forget that also in that very same sentence – He said it has to, and I'm paraphrasing, and I'm also going from my feeble memory here, but he also said in that very same sentence, something to the effect of it has to line up with our clinical experience as well. Absolutely. I I think we, I I don't want to get too technical about research, but it's, we, we invested certainly in certain parts of the community birth community here a kind of a faith in evidence like yes. somehow evidence yes. arrives at the truth yes. and, and <laughs> yes. if, I, if i hold it as the truth then then unconsciously as well as consciously maybe a moral framework is created around it and then breastfeeding becomes a moral issue and for, yes. for me that that's destined to create fundamentalists in both camps oh interesting uh, that oh maybe we can talk more about that on on the next segment, uh, Mark. I'm I'm interested too uh, in what you have said in your book about a woman trying to breastfeed, yeah. and you said this drives me out of my living mind. By the way, uh, <laughs> it drives it drives me nuts. Nobody asks her, "Are you going to try to have sex?" Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just ludicrous, right? <laughs> yeah, right. So, so I guess my question is, 
when people say to the woman, are you going to try to breastfeed, uh, do, you have, do you have any way that the woman can make a good comeback, a, a good little sound bite? Because it's so humiliating when people say, are you going to try to breastfeed? Well, I, I, I think a Yoda quote from Star Wars is appropriate. You a know, when, when Luke is trying to levitate the, the spaceship out of the water and he, he frustratedly, you know, turns aside and he's and yoda says you know carry on and, and luke says i'm trying and yoda says there is no try only do or don't do oh right. and, and, it, and okay. it points it points to the unconscious nature of communication and language because try has within it the implicit assumption that you won't accomplish what you're trying to do Absolutely. you know if i ask you if i ask you to try to take the pen and you take it well you're you're not trying you've taken it so the assumption is you won't be able to to do what you're trying to do and it's happening at a deeply unconscious level so for me try is one of those words that that every breastfeeding support person should banish from their absolutely absolutely uh and i would also say another thing which is we need to really get the focus on the goals and the outcome you know i did not come to work this morning saying oh i'm gonna try to do a radio show with mark harris uh i i I just have to tell a, a small anecdote here, which is actually when I started doing the radio show, I said something to my sister, who, by the way, is a teacher, and I said I was going to try to to do this radio show, and she said, you are doing it. And it, <laughs> it suddenly occurred to me that when you get into that try mentality, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You've really, you've got to tell yourself you are doing it, you are successful, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, 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 it's really, uh, and I don't watch sci-fi, but I have heard that quote about the Luke Skywalker. You're so, yeah. you're so spot on. So, uh, Mark, you alluded earlier to your son and the yeah. whole idea of the breasts being sexualized. How do we convince the father that the breasts are not for him? Well, uh, the, the, the book is particularly terse about that. Yes. Oh, know, the, yeah. book make, the book makes it very clear that the breasts are not his. Yes, and um, uh, that you know there, there there seems to be a bit of an issue amongst men around uh, early bonding. You know, some men certainly in the UK say that they feel that they're not able to bond adequately because they're oh, not. Oh, we get that too. Oh, they're yeah. not feeding. So you know, I always talk to them about skin to skin with with their baby. That you know, okay. it's nice for them to do it. There is a hormonal response that they get from that, but it's not as important for them to do that as it is for her to be having the baby against her. And there are, there are many other ways that, that he can be engaging with his baby uh, that don't include bottle feeding. How do they respond when you say, look, the breasts are not for you? How do men respond? Yeah, various. I mean, okay. my groups, are, they're all male groups. And yeah. by, the stage, by the time we're talking about breastfeeding, there is openness and candor. Okay. You know, so men feel very comfortable about talking about sex generally because, you know, I, I'm very open about the fact that their sex lives are about to change in the early months oh, after, yeah. <laughs> after the birth of the baby. Yeah. You know, and I've already would have spoken to them about how the endocrine dance is different in the male of the species and the female of the species when it comes to stress relief. And that forms a, a foundation for all the work I do in the context of preparing men to be supportive. 
So, Mark, do you think that the way in which you approach men is different from the way in which I, a registered nurse and a woman, would approach men? Do you think that differs? I think so. You know, I've been qualified as a a midwife in 94, so I've been a midwife over 20 years. Oh, you're just a youngster. Okay. I know. I'm I'm a novice. (laughs) 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 When I've been qualified seven years, uh, and I know we're coming up to a break, but I'll I'll, I'll tell the story as quickly as as I can. I've been doing very well in, in making myself as transparent in the room as I could. Present, okay. but not present, you know. Yeah. Uh, and when you're as big as I was, I was 28 <laughs> stone, which is a lot of pounds, right? Okay. And I, I had this student. She was 40. She'd never been in the birthroom before as a professional. Her name was Maggie. And uh, I know we're coming up to a break, Maria, so shall I tell the rest of the story? Shall I carry sure, on? Sure, well, sure. She'd never been in the birthroom before and um, as a professional. And we walk into the birthroom. I say... Uh, another hello to the parents because I would have already met them and um, I I did what I normally did which was uh, say hello and then move out of the way and and as I'm watching sitting on the floor actually leaning against the wall the woman is doing the amygdala dance of birth you know she's losing her mind coming to her senses the limbic system is doing its primeval work and she's dancing the amygdala dance and Maggie starts to dance the dance with her intuitively responding to the ebbings and flowings of the dance like it was native turf to her and I have in my eyes and I start to weep and I start to weep quite loudly because I realized in that moment that there is an intuitive connection between Maggie and this woman that as a man who experiences the world through a masculine neurophysiology I would only ever dream of achieving. Wow. Mark, what a wonderful, wonderful story. Hey, listen, everybody, you've gotten like so much from this radio show lately about the amygdala because uh, just a bit ago, Jill Farmer talked to us about it. Dr. Susie Luddington talked about it. Now Mark is talking about it. Don't go away. We'll be right back, amygdala and all, right after this break. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuso, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you too. Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that too through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. 
New Angel manufactures environmentally friendly and hypoallergenic cotton products for breastfeeding mothers and their new angels. Feel the difference. Soft, absorbent, and breathable. Patented, patent-pending, and award-winning products designed by a certified lactation consultant. Look for New Angel biodegradable, disposable, and cotton-washable nursing pads, natural cotton products, and other unique items. Made by mothers for mothers in the USA. By N-U-A-N-G-E-L for your New Angel at www.newangel.com and www.amazon.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. I have with me today registered midwife, Mark Harris. Mark is the author of Men, Love, and Birth. And before we go on, I'd just like to remind those of you who are listening that I will be giving, if like we all know, that some of the best lactation consultants are the ones who actually have done it themselves. If you find yourself wanting to become a lactation consultant, I will be giving my comprehensive lactation course this August, as well as in October and November. November, and I will be doing it in major locations throughout the United States. If you're not up for the whole comprehensive course, you might want to do some of our SERP packages. You might want a review course or a number of other things. If you are looking to go professional with this breastfeeding thing, come to my professional site, and that is breastfeedingoutlook.com. Mark, before we went to break, you mentioned yeah. the amygdala dance. And yeah. uh, I, I just I just want to remind people that the amygdala is is actually a little tiny uh, thing within the brain that is part of the reptilian brain. It's our, our kind of our lower and it, uh, it the lower brain that regulates our emotions. It's about the size of a peanut. Uh, but what is this amygdala dance, Mark? Oh, it, it, you know, the amygdala and the limbic system uh, beyond it is it, it, what we have in common with all mammals. It's many, many millions of old uh, years old. It's, it's the source of the queen of hormones, oxytocin, which is, you know, the primary hormone responsible for birth and, you know, influential, very influential in breastfeeding. Yes. It, 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 <laughs> It formed long before our forebrain, which is responsible for language. You know, the forebrain began to form, they say, about 200,000 years ago. And some people say that language only started to develop about 15,000 years ago when we switched from hunter-gathering to becoming crop growers. So the amygdala does not depend on, it cannot be spoken into action. You know, it, it, it... a woman, when she's birthing, and to some extent when she's breastfeeding, uh, she her forebrain becomes less important 
yeah. as the amygdala takes over the process. And when a woman is lost to the amygdala process of birthing, you tend to observe certain movements that are very intuitive, that look like a dance to the observer. Yes. They're unorchestrated, spontaneous movements, rocking, swaying, yes. crouching. Yes bending over, making certain sounds that yes. are, for me, indicative of the amygdala dance. Uh, and, of course, those hormones responsible for birth are the hormones responsible for orgasm, too. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so that's the dance I'm referring to. Well, as I heard you saying that, uh, I have helped hundreds, maybe thousands of women to labor. And uh, as I heard you describing that, I could just see it all happening in my mind's eye because every woman goes through this. Absolutely every yeah. woman. It's, and, it's like she loses her mind and comes yes. to her senses. Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. And yeah. I've also said, you show me a a a nervous Nelly and I will show you a long labor. And I think yeah. it's just because they can't get to that amygdala dance, as you say. Yeah. Uh, and and the, the whole impact of adrenaline upon uh, breastfeeding to a certain yes. extent, but definitely upon uh, birth, we, we, we know that if a woman is exposed to fe uh, any fearful responses in the early stages of the birthing process, labor, uh, labor, the oxytocin diminishes. Yes. When we were hunter-gatherers, that kept us alive. Yes, yes. It kept us on, you know, you know that prolactin, the hormone responsible for uh, for the milk supply becoming available, is in the body throughout the whole of the pregnancy, but is inhibited by placental hormones. The placenta is born. It takes seventy two hours for 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 the placental hormones to stop acting on prolactin, and then it peaks seventy two hours through the nighttime hours, which, from a hunter gatherer point of view, makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Well, yes, because then you would be least likely to be, um, uh, if you were doing activity in the night, your, yeah. your predators, yeah, uh -huh. you're thinking so, about the whole predator thing. I, I guess I am. And, and yeah. putting it inside the evolutionary context seems to, seems to generate insights into my male audience. I think I told that story because I, you asked me about um, uh, my approach to men, how is oh, it right, different right. <laughs> uh -huh, And I told uh -huh. the story about uh, my enlightenment experience when I realized that uh, Maggie, uh, experiencing the world as she did through a female neurophysiology, was more likely to approximate the experience of the woman, the lived experience of the woman. She's yeah. never going to have the woman's experience, but she's more likely to approximate it. So I extrapolate from that. When my wife died, I thought, right, where was I most connected to humanity? And wow. I knew it was birth. And I thought, well, with my insights, based on my experience with Maggie, how can I serve a male community? Because I am, I think, more likely to approximate their experience. Yes, yes. And, and that's the answer, long answer to your question. Well, no, actually, that was just tremendously... Uh, for, for those who might not know me or my history or my passion, you know, honestly, I started out life just wanting to be a hotshot labor and delivery nurse. And how I got into all this breastfeeding stuff is a long story. But, uh, you, you know, I, my heart just always lies there because it's such a fascinating process for me. And so I, I was really very fascinated with with what you had to say, and I think your descriptions of that uh, amygdala dance are totally spot on. Uh, Mark, you also mentioned earlier, oh dear, uh, 
Mark? I've got, Mark? I've got you. I'm there. I'm oh, back? Okay. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, Mark, you also mentioned the idea of morality, and you said it really divides us into two camps. So no matter which camp you're in, we're divided. Can you speak more to that, please? And, and both camps obviously feels that they're morally right. Yes. Yeah. So so my, my thinking is that it, it, we're, we're best to take all of life out of a moral framework to a certain extent and just – ask ourselves what works and what doesn't are you there okay. yeah yes yeah. Uh-huh. so so, uh-huh. so so we 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 regard the evidence uh, we we test the evidence and the question before us is is what is working or what isn't working the minute we establish some kind of moral framework well then it it it, it potentially induces guilt around not doing what is morally accepted as the truth uh-huh, uh-huh. So we, we ask ourselves, what is working, what isn't working? And in that framework, the, the energy, the guilt, potential guilt energy is removed. What, what's working, what isn't working? If we, if we apply that to breastfeeding, well, breastfeeding has worked for many millions of years. And, it, and it's turning out, we're finding out more and more and more uh, about how important breastfeeding is to the future of humanity not wanting to be too melodramatic, but humanity. That's no, true. That's true. Humanity. You know, we know uh, we know about the influence of uh, uh, the hormonal dance when it comes to establishing attachments um, bet- between human beings. And with the advent of epigenetics, you know, there is the concern that part of the genome can be turned off in a generation. So yeah. these considerations will have long-term implications so taking it outside of a moral framework breastfeeding is working you know yes that makes sense Oh, oh, it does. And I'm just thinking, uh, for those of you who are listening, Mark and I did not rehearse this. In fact, I have never met Mark. I've never talked to him until we started the show. And but I, I like really you already. I like you already. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's, we did not rehearse this. So I didn't know that he was going to bring in uh, so many of the aspects of what we've talked about in previous shows. Now, if you're curious about epigenetics, and if you're not, you should be, we had Dr. Jennifer Thomas on the show earlier this year, and she talked about the importance of epigenetics and how you can, in fact, turn genes on and turn genes off. And if you want to get the short version of that, read my blog. Because basically what I said was, I never thought that I would put the word uh, breastfeeding and epigenetics into the same of sentence. But in fact, I did and I do, and you should too. So Mm -hmm. Mark, uh, tell us this too. Um, you say that often women get discouraged, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they want to quit breastfeeding. And so from the male perspective or the professional perspective, uh, what do you see is going on here? Uh, and and I'm, I'm thinking that you're thinking she doesn't really want to quit. I, I think a woman being able to make a powerful choice Okay. Based based on the evidence is, is very Im, Im, important, and we've already spoken about the unconscious influence that uh, the formula companies have had in their very sophisticated influence techniques. I I, I think there there are a group of women uh, who have maybe responded to uh, the moral argument about breastfeeding, 
who have a sense going into the feeding experience that they may well not have made that choice had they not been responding to those strong emotions uh-huh. of feeling guilt uh-huh. if they don't uh-huh. try. So I think that has some bearing uh, upon women's choice. I mean, in the UK, I've been a midwife 20 years. The initiate the, the longevity breastfeeding rates in the UK have not changed in over 20 years. So we, wow. we, 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 still, we still have the same amount of women uh, cho- making a different feeding choice at six weeks as we had 20 years ago. Mm. No impact. The initiation rates have gone up, but that's yeah. largely because we're auditing initiation. And yep. if a baby looks at the breast now, it's classed as a, yep. having established breastfeeding. Mm. So we've got good initiation. Mm. 84% initiation rates. We've still got 61% are choosing to breastfeed at six weeks. Yeah, and you know, talking about these, quote, benefits of breastfeeding, I always say to my colleagues, when you start promising these breast, these benefits of breastfeeding, just remember that unless you have continuation of breastfeeding, two slurps doesn't really do the job. Hey, everybody, don't go away. When we come back, I'm going to be talking to registered midwife Mark Harris and author about the whole idea of putting milk in the bottle. Don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash donor. New Angel manufactures environmentally friendly and hypoallergenic cotton products for breastfeeding mothers and their new angels. Feel the difference. Soft, absorbent, and breathable. Patented, patent-pending, and award-winning products designed by a certified lactation consultant. Look for New Angel biodegradable, disposable, and cotton washable nursing pads, natural cotton products, and other unique items. Made by mothers for mothers in the USA. By N-U-A-N-G-E-L for your new angel at www.newangel.com and www.amazon.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. And today, Mark Harris, author of Men, Love, and Birth, has 
brought about so much clarification to so many facts. Uh, Mark, I want to talk with you. I don't know how big this is in the UK, but it's huge here in the US, where we have what what mothers will basically call pump and feed, meaning that they will pump their milk and put it in a bottle. Now, to my professional colleagues, I say, look, you know, we've done a great job of selling the benefits of breastfeeding and the benefits of human milk and all of that, but we haven't really done a great job of talking about the fact that suckling at the breast is in and of itself part of the experience. So yeah. um, can, can, can you help us to understand here, why do, why do men pressure women to put their, their milk in a bottle and what can we do about this? Well, I don't think all men do. Okay, all right. So uh, you know what they say, uh, all generalizations are lies. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, so I just lied. <laughs> I just lied. <laughs> I, I think there is a significant portion of men that do. And I, I think it's, again, linked to, uh, in some, an underlying sense of jealousy because mm. of the, the some, another person is becoming significant to the woman. And certainly when it's the first child, that adds a dynamic to, to the relationship that hasn't existed before. So it's an unconscious, unspoken sense of jealousy around the breasts. It, it, it comes out often in, in wanting to, uh, more opportunities to, to bond. Um, I, I think when men start to understand the implications of a, a baby suckling at the breast, uh, the release of oxytocin and all that's going on in terms of the forming of the amygdala of the baby being bathed in, 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 in those kind of connection hormones mm-hmm. and the significance that that will have on the ongoing life of the child's ability to make connections with other human beings, yes. they have an insight about it rooted in their growing love and support for their new baby. You know, I I spent some time as a general nurse working in a secure psychiatric uh, unit. Oh, so you can deal with a nut like me. Okay, got it. All right. (laughs) I'm a a registered general nurse also, and I I worked in a secure psychiatric hospital with people who had been sent there uh, with a a section under the Mental Health Act uh, with all kinds of horrible diagnosis like personality disorder we have such a thing in the UK and almost I would say out of every person in that institution everyone had an early diagnosis of attachment deficit disorder where attachment to their early parenting figure had been disrupted in some way traumatically often so so the implications on a sliding scale of of the baby not having the benefit of that kind of attachment suckling at the breasts are profound. And and when men get it and have an insight, it shifts their value. It shifts their map of the world and they spontaneously make a change. Mark, I'm impressed, but I have to tell you that for the greatest part of my career, I don't think the word amygdala came out of my mouth as related to parents. How do you do this without making a big anatomy lesson out of it? I, I mean, well, I'll tell you what, and I don't know whether it's a bit sensitive uh, for your audience, but the no, very no. very early part of the program that I run, uh, Birthing for Blokes, it's it's on the internet, birthingforblokes.com, is I, I, I introduced them to the idea, uh, quite an old idea that Michelle O'Donnell has brought up 
Oh, what, yes. The, the orgasm and birth are one event separated by time. Mm. So the hormone family responsible for orgasm and the hormone fa family responsible for birth are the same family. So, you know, the conditions that are more likely to for her to release herself into orgasm environmentally are the same conditions that will release her in the power to birth in the context of birth and by extrapolation in the context of her feeding. So, so men have an opportunity to be exposed to that information so that they have an insight. You see, my program isn't based on information sharing. It's based on creating a context for a man to have an insight because once he has an insight, he has it forever. You know, the information can go in and out of his head, but yes. insight becomes intrinsic to who you're being in any given moment. Well, I really like that. Uh, it's it's kind of funny, too, because I just last week or maybe the week before uh, gave a lecture to a room full of nurses at Robert Wood Johnson Hospital, which is one of our big ones here in the U.S. And when I mentioned the amygdala, I could tell by the dynamics in the room that people were like, what, what's, she, what's she talking about, you know? Yeah. And I, I'm thinking that this whole idea of context is is really important. I had totally forgotten about Michelle Odant, yeah. um, and and I shouldn't because I'm old enough to have remember, remembered him. But uh, I think that that's really important because you're right. Information that goes into our heads isn't necessarily going to stay with us, but information that becomes emotionally charged somehow. Yeah. Uh, I I don't think there's anybody that's listening that's going to forget the the story about Maggie. Certainly, I will remember yeah. this. Uh, Twenty years from now, I'll say, "Oh yeah, Mark Harris. I remember him telling the story about Maggie." You know, and so <laughs> before we start winding up today, Mark, yeah. could you tell us a little bit about your book? Who is it for? Where do we find it? Right. Uh, Tell us about that. Well, I, I, I wrote the book. I, I spent two years trying to write it, and then I heard Kurt Vonnegut say that he wrote to an audience of one. So uh. I, wrote it, I wrote it to my adult sons and grandsons, and okay. when I finished it, I'd said all I wanted to say to them, and I didn't care who uh. read it. So, <laughs> so it's, it's really a book uh, designed uh, to introduce men to, to what's the only thing that needs fixing when she's when she's pregnant, when she's birthing, and when she's breastfeeding. And the only thing that needs fixing is, are you in a felt sense of connection with her in this moment? Oh, I love and that. And it, it creates a context for them to experiment with the kinds of behaviors, the kinds of context settings that are more likely to raise her oxytocin. Like one of the exercises is pick a job around the house, that needs doing, do it without asking and without looking for praise and see what happens. And almost universally, men come back and they go, oh, my goodness, that is the best kept secret. I agree. Because I agree. it has an impact on her feeling good. If it's having an impact on her feeling good, we know her oxytocin levels <laughs> are going up. Yes. And, it, uh, it's so true. It's so true. Yeah. I, I totally and, and, love that. It's cross-cultures, too. It's cross-cultures because we're a human yes. animal. We're not separated uh, by culture. It, oh, no. Know. I can, I can tell you when I wake up in the morning and my husband uh, uh, emptied the dishwasher the night before when I went to bed, man, I wake up feeling good that day, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you. Mark, uh, tell, tell us where your website is again, please. Yes. 
I, I can. I've got two websites. Okay. The, the website where the uh, the video-based program I run for men, as well as face-to-face program, is called Birthing Number Four, BirthingForBlokes.com, and the, the website with all of my birth writing is uh, BirthingAwareness.com. Very, very good. Well, for those of you who are listening, I'm sorry to tell you, but it's always this hour goes way too fast. <laughs> and I, w- I would just like to say that uh, before we sign off, I'd like to thank uh, registered nurse, midwife, and author Mark Harris. Mark, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, it's been a, a, a rich pleasure. Oh, thank you. Well, finally, I'd like to thank all of you for listening to Born to be Breastfed, and I'd like to invite you all to come back next week. If you're interested in books or other media that was mentioned on the show or in previous shows, check out my Amazon store. We have a link. Uh, it, it is an affiliate link on Born to be Breastfed for Mark's book or other books or media that have, we have been mentioning in previous shows. Now, this is my parenting site. And then I also have my professional site, and that would be breastfeedingoutlook.com. If you're a professional and you're looking for continuing education about breastfeeding and lactation, I'm your source for evidence-based practice. That's breastfeedingoutlook.com, where you'll find my courses. My blog is actually in both places. And again, that's breastfeedingoutlook.com. Okay, then. I am Marie Biancuso, and I promise I'll help you to cut through the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding next Monday, same time, same channel. In the meanwhile, happy Father's Day, and remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.